Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. It's been more than 19 months since the first COVID-19 cases were confirmed in New Mexico. And responding to that, the state's public health orders came out, determining capacity limits, mask mandates, quarantine requirements, school reopening criteria, and more. Yeah, and behind that guiding force is New Mexico's own medical advisory team, of which Dr. David Scrace heads up. He's played an integral role in leading New Mexico through this pandemic, giving us updates pretty much every week for the last year. He's had a long career in healthcare as a primary care physician and a geriatrician, and of course, serving as the state's secretary of the Human Services Department since 2019. Now, Dr. Scrace, you're also heading up the state's Department of Health. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to be here and great uh, to be able to chat with both of you about everything that's happened over the past uh, 19 months. I wanted to start with, uh, I guess, a little bit more of a personal question, if you will. Uh, how are you holding up? You know, over the last year and a half, you've been New Mexico's go-to guy for nearly all questions on COVID. You've talked about the pressure this virus has put on healthcare workers. You're also in a very public role leading two state agencies at this point. And I'm sure you've received criticism about some of the decisions the state's made over the last year. So with all that being said, how are you holding up? You know, Chris, I'm doing really well. I have one of the craziest, uh, most dedicated programs of self-care of anybody you've probably ever met. I think I'm on day 603 of consecutive exercise days, meditation days. When I saw the pandemic coming, I thought, you know, there's four times of exercise, four times a week of exercise that I do is not going to be enough. This is like an Olympic marathon coming. And so, and, you know, I read, I journal, I reflect, I, uh, and and those other things I mentioned. And so, and I do all that between 4 a.m. and 6.30 in the morning when I get started. So generally, I'm in a really well-balanced state. I think too, I'm, you know, as you get older, you understand that people sometimes are getting their own needs met by writing nasty emails. And it's, I do know that's not about me. I'm sometimes surprised by how much people reveal about themselves in, in those kind of emails. The other thing is in every criticism, there's a little shred of truth. And I try to ignore the 99% and find that one thing that like, well, yeah, maybe we could communicate better about that. Or maybe, maybe there is a better way to say that. So I'm great. I, you know, and I think the last thing is I had a relationship uh, that goes back 20 years with the governor as a doctor for her family. I've worked with her through some really, really tough situations. I came to work in state government to work for her. I knew she had really high standards. Uh, I, I didn't realize how focused she would be on data. But that's really right up my alley and something I've you know spent my whole career trying to work to find better data. So uh, I love the work. I love the impact it has. As a physician, I love that we can make a huge difference in the health of the people of New Mexico. We'll get to some other items about how we've overcome these equity barriers and the vaccination effort. But I, I'm, a, I'm a generally very, very happy person. I think my happiness comes from within. And so... I get a lot of internal satisfaction about the work I'm doing and I feel good. 
Dr. Scrace, you and I chatted a lot during this pandemic. In the thick of it, I was pretty much interviewing you regularly about hospital capacity, the rollout of testing, and then when the vaccine eventually came out. And now here we are, you know, more than a year later, still having a lot of the same conversations that we were a year ago. First off, can you give us just a general idea of where we stand with vaccines and what's been widely discussed now, booster shots? How has that rollout gone so far? I think New Mexico is a super superstar when it comes to how we're doing with vaccines. And, you know, as of today, in fact, our our statewide vaccination rate for complete vaccines for those 18 and older is 71.2%, which is really good. But over 80% of people now, 80 and one half percent of people have gotten at least one shot. So that puts us in the top tier of states in the country. Um, In August, September, there was this massive influx of kids into hospitals nationally. Hospitalization rates for children went up to dramatically high levels. We did not see that in New Mexico. And the CDC shed some insight on that, that it turns out that high vax rate states had uh, very low pediatric hospitalizations, low vax rate states, three and a half times higher. And so adults in New Mexico, every adult in New Mexico protected the kids of New Mexico through that. On the booster side, I think, you know, the vaccines all kind of came out for the most part, at least Pfizer and Moderna at relatively the same time was sort of clear. Everybody desperately wanted one. You know, there was a a rush uh, to get them, which is great because we got our folks, we led the nation for a long time in getting vaccinated. So that was really a good thing. On the booster side, I think we're going to see a significant uptick soon. I was at the University of New Mexico getting my booster. I like to say because I'm over 50 and I have an underlying condition. Um, and uh, it was packed. They had 460 people scheduled there, uh, many healthcare workers. But um, I think as we get more data about the booster, we're going to see that it does it does provide additional protection. And, and so I think we'll see that happen right now. It's a little confusing. The subcategories, it's not for everyone. It's only for Pfizer, but you know, they're meetings for Moderna and J&J boosters. And, and then the kids, uh, five to 11 is coming up. Lots of vaccine related events. I will say though, that no matter what, any unvaccinated New Mexican in the view of the DOH, the governor and our delivery system statewide, any unvaccinated person has priority for that first shot over anyone getting a booster. And we're going to stick to that. And when kids come online, uh, if we get vaccinations from for, for five to 11s, uh, they will become our first priority. Even if we have to delay boosters, which I don't think we will, uh, but even if we have to delay, that's the first priority. That's what contains the pandemic uh, the most effectively. I think back to when vaccines first hit. And so I'm thinking about uh, mid-December and then really early January and and so forth. Um, Early on in that vaccine rollout, we really saw that eagerness to get vaccinated. Then things really shifted, it seemed. More supply came online. Demand sort of waned a little bit, of course, because... Some people got their vaccinations, but vaccination kind of seemed to shift toward 
convincing people to get the shot. And with that, there's all the politicization that is mixed in, particularly now when we think about boosters as well. You look online, you see some people say, give me all the shots, you know, uh, give me a J&J, Moderna, Pfizer. They, they just want maybe that mix and match sort of thing. And then you've got other people who say, I, I won't be forced into doing anything. How has New Mexico handled vaccination? And are, are you hopeful people who need boosters are going to get them? You know, I'm confident actually that people who need boosters will get them. I think the new understanding we have effective, I think it was July 21st, that um, people who've been vaccinated can both have and transmit uh, COVID, even if they're not symptomatic. I think that's going to convince a lot of people. I think older people are used to being vaccinated and doing anything they can to protect themselves. Uh, uh, once you turn 65, you're eligible for a whole new set of vaccines and there's very little resistance. It's what I do for a living. When I'm a doctor is taking care of other people, very, very little resistance in that group. And so I think we'll get even more data. I think it'll become more widely available. And uh, um, I think we're gonna see uh, a greater uptick as time goes on. Again, though, you know, those those unvaccinated people, the first priority. And I think the other thing too is, uh, I think I've been through my period of being angry about this. Uh, it's frustrating because I see my friends and fellow healthcare workers. You know, I couldn't see the looks on their faces, but I could see their eyes last night. A lot of my close colleagues, obviously, incredibly exhausted to the point of, uh, you know, I'd never seen them like that. And I think I think folks understand that it's something we all can do to preserve our healthcare system in New Mexico and preserve the people working so hard. It's different in the United States. You know, there's some European countries where this idea of the collective good is understood to be more important than the individual good. And, you know, America is founded on principles of individual liberty. And so, and it's, you know, we're a pretty successful country. And so it's just part of the mix. But, you know, I don't make fun of people or judge them for, religious beliefs. So, I mean, why, who am I to say whether the depth of someone's conviction about not being vaccinated? And so I can't argue with that part, but this public health imperative is about as strong as it could possibly be in New Mexico right now. And we know of people every day who cannot get access to a hospital bed or an ICU bed that they need. And, and, uh, and, there is something we can do about that. I wanted to ask you another question along those lines, the, the polarization, right, that we see people have basically dug their heels in on one side or the other when it comes to vaccines or boosters. Have you had to have any of those like personal discussions within your circle of either like friends or family or, you know, working professionals? And how do you handle those conversations? Yeah, I, I have. And uh, I think that I just try to be curious um, I try to um, not judge, but just be curious. It's like, oh, really? So that's interesting. You think that they implant a computer chip in you when you get the vaccine. You know, that's, huh, like, where'd you get that idea? Or where, where did you see that? And then I'll say something like, you know, that's really funny that you say that because, you know, I had an MRI myself like three months after I finished my vaccine series and if they really had put a little computer in my arm, it would have blown right out through a hole in my arm during that, that MRI and I wasn't bleeding or anything. So I just try to be 
You know, I think lots of us, lots of times people just want to tell their story and, and sometimes they want to pick a fight and I, I don't, I don't find that fighting about it really helps. I think we try to just, you know, we, we're both in our family. We're both the met, my wife and I are both the medical people in our family. And so we try to offer what evidence there is and experiences we have. And um, I, I will confess last summer, uh, I was sort of going through the various stages of grief about this, you know, a denial, anger, you know, bargaining, but I'm kind of into acceptance now. And I, and, and we have also, we know certain racial ethnic groups and locations of the state are much more, you know, resistant, much less accepting of vaccines. And so we get that it's kind of on us to not have the one size fit all, you know, uh, message, but to try to tailor it to, you know, a different message for Hispanics and working with community groups and churches, a different meth- message for African-Americans and working with community groups and, and churches and others. You know, we're, you've heard us talk a lot about, uh, we know that people don't really value opinions of state health officials about whether you get vaccinated or not. We get that. So we're not saying that. We're saying Talk to your trusted healthcare professional and, and have that discussion. Thoughtful discussion. Yeah. Another topic on the minds of so many people, especially parents, are, of course, vaccines in children. Pfizer is approved by the FDA for emergency use for those 12 and older. And the company now says its clinical trial results show that it's safe for kids ages 5 to 11. But we've also heard from a lot of parents who are concerned about how quickly these vaccines got on the market and then those who are unsure of any potential last side effects for their children. So Dr. Scrace, what data do you have on parents' willingness to vaccinate their kids in New Mexico and should they do it? So great questions. Uh, number, I want to say one, I want to say just one thing is because of the marketing aspects of vaccination, we're not really counting on press releases to make decisions about vaccinations for New Mexico kids. And so uh, I actually got a note from Pfizer about how they this press release. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. Can you send me your data? And of course they can't. And that won't be revealed until it gets to, uh, you know, the FDA. And so, um, so that jury is like not even started meeting. And, and so we don't know. I think that in the summer and, and Deputy Secretary Laura Parahone, who's just amazing person who's really led our vaccine effort, had some data. I think in the summer nationally, about 28% of parents said, well, if I can get a vaccine for my kid, I'll do it right away. And then in September, it was up to 32%. I like the Mexican proverb that says, the bull always looks different when you enter the ring. And so I'm not as interested in what people say they might do when a vaccine is available, frankly, as I am about what they're going to do. I've heard some people say, you know, it's too quick. This vaccine was developed too quickly. And so I always say like, well, what would be an appropriate time frame for you to have a vaccine develop? Like how many people do you think should be involved in the clinical trial? And of course, I mean, I, I have a few science friends who've thought it through, but most people are just more fearful or afraid. I don't want to subject my child to something that might not be good for them. I think when the vaccine comes out, that will be a different dynamic. I know some people will go in and get their kids vaccinated you know, as soon as they can. And I, other people will still have a, a wait and see attitude. But 
Now, all of a sudden, if the vaccine's available, I have to deal with, well, what if I don't get my child vaccinated and then something bad happens? And so that's all part of the human decision-making equation. It's not an active factor. So I predict, and I should never do that because I'm almost always wrong, but Sometimes I'm close. I think I predict that when the vaccine's available, it'll be a whole different conversation and way of thinking. And I think you'll see uh, a much higher vaccination. When when we did 12 to 17 year olds, we were going up by 25% a week. I mean, that curve just went way up and then leveled off. And so um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to see what the evidence is. We'll look at the evidence. Um, But in general, the process has been good over the past year for evaluating effectiveness. And we'll review that too. You mentioned wanting to see the data. That was kind of your first response to Pfizer when they put out that press release. Hey, let me see the numbers. Do you think there is enough data to definitively say at this point that this vaccine is safe for children or your kids will be better off being vaccinated? Or is there maybe some gray area where it could depend on your own child's health needs? You know, let me start with the second part. Like if your child has unique health needs or you know, underlying conditions or something like that, they're much more likely, in my guess, to benefit from the vaccine than not. I mean, the the tragic, tragic deaths we've had in kids, there's been four now in New Mexico, have been generally uh, sort of similar to vaccinated adults in fairly sick or disabled kids. And so I think that those needs will be higher and, and like we did, when we rolled out the vaccine for the most vulnerable people, um, folks may buy in. I think every family is going to decide for themselves. You know, we do have exemptions in New Mexico for school vaccines. This won't be a required school vaccine while it's under EUA. And so, uh, but in general, most parents in New Mexico are used to getting their kids vaccinated and and when new shots, you know, when influenza came out and, um, you know, I think it was 2002, we decided finally, you know, 81 years later that kids carry influenza and spread it around in schools. So, uh, you know, that became a, a, a required vaccine. So I think we're in a pretty good place. I mean, I, I think the mortality rate in adults is very convincing uh, that you should get a COVID shot. The, the lack of, you know, serious more serious illness in kids was something we all took for granted until the summer with the Delta variant and saw those hospitalizations rise. So even that issue is kind of back on the table. So I think human beings uh, try to make the best decisions they can. I think many of us for many things that we don't have time to do ourselves, we, um, you know, we, uh, we rely on authorities we trust. I think we'll see a fair amount of that. I'm going to lob another personal question at you. I know you're a father. Do you have a plan for your own kids with vaccination for COVID-19? And and maybe how how do you talk to them? Well, I am older than that. So uh, all my kids are vaccinated. Uh, and really, our discussion now is about our, um, our four unvaccinated grandkids. My uh, 13-year-old granddaughter is vaccinated. I think they took her in on her 12th birthday or something. I can't, she'll be 13 soon, but it was, they got her right in when the first she could. And then I've got a a five and an eight year old uh, who will be eligible for the vaccines. I know they'll get vaccinated. Then I've got a two and four year old who are too young 
just yet, but um, who've actually had COVID. And I know um, their moms, my daughter and her wife got vaccinated even after they had COVID immediately. So I, I would say uh, our kids are our kids <laughs> and they've been pretty, you know, thoroughly indoctrinated on the benefits. And I think also on the perspective of there's part of life is doing what's good for you. And part of life is doing what's good for your community. And we are always every day trying to figure out the balance between those two. And we're heading into another cold season with, you know, winter. And one of the priorities has been trying to keep kids in school. Along those lines, as a parent, I can say juggling quarantines, COVID test turnaround times, work schedules. It's all been really hard for families. Is New Mexico looking at making COVID tests more widely available or maybe more rapid tests? Yeah, you know, we are. The rapid testing is going on. We're Happy to have that done. Uh, COVID testing is doing better than you think, though, Gabby. We're, uh, I think we hit a new record of an average turnaround time of 1.3 days. Uh, the other day, some of that's brought down by, um, by rapid testing as well. And uh, I know availability was tough a couple of weeks ago. That seems to be better now as well. I think that there will be a time where we'll have access to doing that testing in the home. And we just have to be willing to, you know, get the follow-up test if it, if the results would or symptoms suggest that's necessary. The other thing I would say about the rapid testing and the real pitfall is we know that a lot more rapid testing is being done than is being reported to the DOH and the accurate reporting of cases, no matter what kind of test is what enables us to manage the pandemic. On the other hand, uh, I think if we're still getting a lot of the data, I, that's going to give us what we need. So it's a balance. We're learning as we go. CDC came out with some new data in January about the effectiveness of uh, rapid testing in certain settings like nursing homes and congregate settings. And we'll start seeing more evidence from much larger studies that, that help us really understand the effectiveness of the rapid test. Dr. Grace, last question. I know you mentioned um, that, you know, seeing your own healthcare workers and, and people that you work with just tired at this point. We know that hospitals are already under-resourced in this state. In October, there were more than 13,000 jobs posted in the industry here in New Mexico. So what do you see as the future of healthcare workers here in the state? Are there, is there more help on the way? Or could this be like a more chronic issue for New Mexico, much like policing, where there's just been a shortage? Yeah, I'm really very, very concerned. I mean, I think there's lots of answers to your question. I'll give you a couple. I think I think it takes years to build a healthcare workforce. If you want to build a pipeline for nurses and you do a good job, it's gonna take you four years. If you want neurosurgeons, that could be 15 years, you know, primary care doctors, seven years. And so I'm worried. And I and I know people are quitting because they just feel like they can't keep going. Remember, most disasters that we get trained for are like, you know, maybe a bad bus accident where it's a two day intensive intervention that's very challenging emotionally for healthcare workers. And there are people there to help them through it and debrief and, or, or a hurricane that longer, you know, two months, you know, of intense intervention from healthcare workers. But no, we don't have, you know, 19 month crises and, uh, and we're not trained for that and human beings aren't really built 
to handle those. I think the psychological impact of the now unnecessary pandemic weighs heavy on healthcare workers as well. And I think those job openings are reflective of people just saying, you know, this is just too much. I think the other answer to the question is of what do I think uh, <clears throat> about the healthcare workforce in New Mexico is to ask the same question to every New Mexican. What do you think about the importance of preserving the healthcare workforce in New Mexico? What personal decisions are you willing to make today to help preserve the healthcare workforce in New Mexico? And so not picking on anybody, but um, this is a really, really tough time for folks. And, um, and I, if I said I, that they look tired, I misspoke. They're exhausted and, and frustrated and, you know, working, taking care of patients in halls and, you know, and emergency rooms completely full of people who've been admitted to the hospital, but they don't have beds for them. And so that's just really tough duty to do for a night or a week, but not to mention. So I am concerned. I think there's an opportunity to, from a public policy point of view, revisit our hospital capacity and maybe move into the, uh, not in the bottom 10 states, but like the second to the bottom 10 states or something like that. But again, it's a, those are the kind of investments you make for the really, really long run. And uh, things we are going to need to look at from the Department of Health uh, perspective in general and state government, you know, as well. Thanks to Dr. Scrace for taking the time to field some of our questions that we know other people have been asking us about as well. And join us for another episode next week. Meanwhile, you can reach me at Chris McKee TV on Twitter or just chris.mckee at krqe.com. And you can reach me on email at gabrielle.burkhardt at krqe.com or gburknm on Twitter. Thanks for listening.